So is everybody ready to go? Freddie's ready. Freddie's ready. Right. Yeah, I totally should have credit for that. Anybody need a study sheet? Okay. All right. What happened to the back quadrant? <laughs> the back quadrant is just like very empty. Okay, perfect. Jamie's got it covered. All right. Okay, so um, I really hope this study's been a good one for you. It's really been a great reminder to me of a lot of different things. And uh, so we're going to be talking about the, the candlestick this morning. And this one's really important. I really feel like each lesson uh, really stands alone, uh, but it all works together. And it's very, very important. So um, if you've missed any of the weeks past, hop onto the podcast. Uh, some of you have forgotten that we even have that. Uh, hop on there and uh, just listen to some of those. And, and even if you need to go back and re-listen to them again, uh, I've done that a few times on some of the messages that uh, that Bobby's taught and even one that I've gone back and listened to and um, and things like that. It's just been a very helpful tool for me in general. So we're going to be talking about the candlestick. And so kind of moving in, a little bit of review. We've got our tabernacle furnishing a proper dwelling place for the Lord. And we've already talked about a lot of this. And by the way, this beautiful artistry is... I did not... <laughs> I did not. This is Brendan's Deller. Uh, so he, at first he drew the Antichrist candlestick because he forgot two of the branches. And so then he went back. That was a joke. And then he went back and he corrected it. So anyway, uh, yes, we did a great job. And I'm going to be erasing that very soon. So take it all in. All right. Okay. So you have uh, the, the entrance. You've got your brazen altar. You've got your brazen laver. Then you have the holy place, which is divided into two sections. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. I'll draw it up on the board. And I'm actually going to have one of you guys walk me through it. And uh, we talked last week about the table of showbread. And so in talking about the holy place, that's where we're at now. We talked about the outer court. Now we're moving into the holy place. We're going to be talking about the candlestick. And this, again, is the picture you have on your guys' study sheet. Um, and so you can see it was very ornate and made completely out of gold. And we're going to talk all about that. But this is the golden candlestick that would sit in the south side of the holy place and give light into that whole area inside the holy place and so uh, let's go ahead and do a quick review so we've done this enough I want to have somebody walk me through it as I draw it and explain it and uh, if you want to do the whole thing if you want to do parts and kind of split it up that's completely fine but walk me through it and tell me what each is for and what does it represent even um, devotionally as far as the spiritual truths that we're communicating for the New Testament all right so who wants to do it who wants to give it a shot early start it off Carson Put northeast, southwest. Okay, where do I where do I put north it? North at the top. Oh, okay. Uh, east on the right. I was gonna go clock. Yeah, you were. South. <laughs> and then west on the wall. Okay. And then draw a big rectangle in there. In there. And then erase a little spot on the right side for the entrance. A little bigger. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. A little bit in from that, you're going to draw like a, another square. That's going to be the brazen altar. Okay. Um, do I need to describe? Sure. Go step by step. Um, so it's five cubits by five cubits. That looks like more than five. Whatever. Um, and it's, <laughs> um, this is to scale. I'm doing the best that I can. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's four cubits high or three. Something, what, something. What? 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 What is it? It's three cubits. Three cubits high, yeah. and 
Oh, the inner thing is four by four, isn't it? No, the inner is, it's a cubit and a half high. I mean like, but like the, the actual, never mind. The great, yeah. no, I don't think they give the dimension of that. They just say it's in the middle, in the midst of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's a cubit and a half up from the ground. Yep. Um, and then more in the center of the rectangle, there's going to be a circle that's going to be the brazen labor. Okay. Um, that's where the, the, the people washed their feet. Yep. Um, and, and what else? Not just their feet. Well, their whole body, they tried to get all the... Their hands and their feet, not oh, their whole body. Not their whole body. No. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Um, and then... And then you can draw another rectangle, kind of not massive, but bigger than those things. Um, and then cut it in half. Well, not in half, a third. <laughs> um, that's, uh, and then at the top, I think, mm -hmm. there's the, the, the table of showbread. Mm -hmm. And then at the bottom is the candlestick, maybe. That's three. Should have seven. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome, isn't it? It's, so, it's like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Um, so there's six by six, uh, or two rows of six pieces of bread on the table of showbread. Um, there's also an incense thing. I uh -huh. don't know where that is. Okay. Right there. <laughs> and then there's going to be the mercy seat inside the, the, the little or third. Yep. There you go. Okay. So Carson did a good job giving us the diagram. Now explain it to me devotionally. So what's the significance? What are the New Testament spiritual truths that we're communicating? Alright, so the brazen altar is where like, you have to judge your sin. Yep. And then the other thing is where you like walk, get yourself clean before going into God's presence. Yep. A good term, I guess we could say, is being sanctified, set apart. Yeah, washing yourself. And the showbread. Okay. Showbread, pick it up from there. The Bible. The Bible. Yeah. <laughs> what about it? What now? Your Bible only has 12 books in it? Okay. <laughs> See if it does, burn it. <laughs> right now. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, good. So we were talking about how, like, the bread hot thing, put it fresh, like, every day. So, like, in your life, make sure, like, the Bible is, like, the word or your bread of life. Mm -hmm. so make sure you have that fresh renewal every day. Yes, absolutely. Good. Any other additions? Any other details? That's all the major ones. Anyone else have any other things? Yeah. Um, he has the things going from east to west because he's got Jesus who travels east to west. Yeah. God. Jesus is God. God. Yeah. The yes. <laughs> yeah. The divine trinity travels east to west. Correct. You're right. That's good. So the, the, the grate in the, in the brazen altar uh -huh. and the mercy seat and uh -huh. I think the, the table of showbread yep. are all at one and a half cubits off the ground. Yes. Which is meaningful somehow. It is very meaningful. They are connected. Yes. Okay. Yes. Good. Anything else? Yeah. The um, brazen labor is in between the holy place and mm -hmm. the brazen altar because it's so signified. Yeah, yeah, and just like Jesus said with his disciples, you don't need to wash, you're clean. You just need to wash your hands and your feet as you're traveling back and forth. Yeah, very good. Anything else? Good. They're all one and a half cubits off the ground connected because they all represent Jesus. Because Jesus is the Word. Yep. Jesus is our final sacrifice of the raising grade in the yep. mercy seat. 
Yep. I don't know what it represents. It's first Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to that more. Yes, it's all connected. Everything you see here really it goes back to the gospel. Everything goes back to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment. If you were to go and read in the Old Testament and read all these pictures and then travel over into the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, you'll see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of it. Even all the sacrifices that took place here, all of it, Jesus fulfilled all of it. It's a picture of, of him and it's just it's beautiful. I love all these pictures. Okay, awesome. Good. So yes, so very first thing, your sin must be atoned for. If you want to enter into God's presence, because remember, back in the Old Testament, this is where the presence of God dwelt. If you want to enter into God's presence, you, your sin must be atoned for. You must be covered by the blood. And then as you're traveling, you need to wash your hands and your feet because we get dirty in this world all the time and we need to be sanctified and set apart. So the Word of God, as we apply it to our lives and we pray to the Lord and we walk with the Lord, we can wash our hands and our feet. And as you do that, now you move into the holy place, which is closer into God's presence. And now you can spend time with the bread of life, the word of God. This table was made of gold and had a crown, a golden crown round about it because it represented a deity and, and Jesus as the king. And now we're going to be talking about the candlestick and we're going to see how the candlestick is made of gold. And you have the altar of incense, which we're going to get to this next week. But this is a picture of your prayer life. And so as you look at all this, you have the word of God, you have your prayer life, and you have the Holy Spirit. And these are intimately connected. And so we're going to talk about the spirit of God today. And we're going to overlap it a little bit with the altar, but we're going to save most of the altar of incense for next week. Phenomenal. Good job. All right. Exodus 25. Bust open your Bibles. Exodus 25. Bust it gently. We don't want to rip your Bible. That would just not be good. Unless you have 12 books in your Bible, then go for it. <laughs> That's absolutely fine. All right, Exodus 25, and we're going to start it off in verse 31. We're going to read three different chapters, sections of, of chapters in Exodus, and then we're going to move into the details and then go into some of the devotional aspects of this. So Exodus 25, verse 31. I'll read this section. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. And the six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds, with a knop and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch, with a knop and a flower, so in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds, with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same. All it shall, all it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof. They shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof, shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels, and look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. Again, this is the pattern that Moses saw of what was in the third heaven. So what are some basic details that you've noticed that just kind of repeat itself, that as you start to go through this or listen to it, what are some of the things that you notice automatically? Everything, including the snuff dishes, is pure gold. Pure gold. And out of one piece. 
so you weren't supposed to like make part of it in gold, part of it in gold, and then meld them together. No, one piece. This would have taken some serious skill, like serious skill. What else? Almonds. 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 What? What's the deal with almonds? We'll get to that. Good observation. What else? Did anybody else think what's the deal with the knob and a flower? You know what that is? It's very easy. You know the bottom of the flower where the flower buds out of it? That would be the knob at the base and then the flower. So as you look at your picture, so this would be the knob and then the flower. And you have the knob and then the flower, knob and then the flower. So this little piece would be that knob right here. And then of course you have your dishes of almond up here and all that too. Okay, anything else? Okay. All right, awesome. All right, let's go over to chapter 37. Chapter 37, verse 17. These are the part of Exodus that we tend to kind of drift off a little bit, but we need to pay attention. All right, verse 17. Give me two readers. We'll do one, we'll do 17, 18, 19, and 20, and the other person will do 21, 22, 23, 24. Okay, you can do the first one, you can do the second one. So 17 through 20. Will be the first. Made the candlestick of pure gold of beaten work, made he the candlestick, his shaft into his branch, his gold, his knobs, and his flowers were of the same. And six branches going out of the sides thereof, three branches of the candlestick out of one side thereof, and three branches of the candlestick out the other side thereof. Three bowls made of, made after the fashion of almonds in one branch. A knot and a flower and three holes made like almonds and another branch. A knot and a flower so grew out of the six branches growing out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick were four holes made like almonds, his knots and his flowers. And a knot under two branches of the same, and a knot under two branches of the same, and a knot under two branches of the same, according to the six branches going out of it. Their knots and their branches were of the same. All of it was beaten, or all of it was one beaten work of pure gold. And he made his seven lamps and his snuffers and his snuff dishes of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold made he it, and all the vessels thereof. Okay, so he repeats it again, and this is them actually putting it all together and actually making the candlestick. Now jump over to chapter 40. Chapter 40. <clears throat> And we got verse 24 and 25. And Jane, why don't you read those ones? 40, 24, and 25. Yep. And he put the candlestick in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle and southward. And he lighted the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay. So now here's the instructions it's made, and now it's placed. And so those are the three places in Exodus that you see all that come together. Okay, so let's go through some of these details. All right, so first of all, the candlestick was to be made of one piece of pure gold. So that's your first blank, gold. It was to be made of one piece of pure gold. Very expensive, very valuable. The candlestick had knobs and flowers and 22 almond-shaped bowls. The candlestick was to have three branches on either side to make seven flames. Did you guys get all that, by the way? Because there's like three on one side, three on the other. I thought it was supposed to have seven. We got the one in the middle. Okay? So that's how that works out. 
So there's seven flames all together. Next point. The candlestick was the only light in the tabernacle, and it was to never go out. Never, never. Take a look at this verse. Leviticus 24, verse 2. Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure oil olive, or pure oil olive beaten for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually, continually, without stopping. Very similar. So that's why you have this one. The fire is supposed to never go out. And here, the fire is never supposed to go out. Do you guys remember back in, um, it's been a while, so I'm sure that, that we've talked about it, but Samuel, the story of Samuel that many of you heard kind of growing up. And you had Eli, the priest, the high priest, and he was in the temple. Remember what it said there in 1 Samuel? Yeah, even before that. But yes, that's the same passage. Remember what happened? It talked about the Eli, that his eyes waxed dim, that he couldn't see. And then it mentioned something very specific. Talked about the lamp. It has to do with that verse. <laughs> well, shoot, we got to go there now. Go to First Samuel. First Samuel. Chapter three. All right, so Hannah. Couldn't have a child. She had Samuel, dedicated Samuel to the Lord, and gave him, gave him back to the Lord as an answer to her prayer. So now Samuel, as a young boy, is serving in the temple. And again, the temple is the permanent place that the tabernacle uh, used to be. Now it's, it's actually in the nation of Israel. And now you have 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3. Um, and actually, at this point, yeah, you're right. I was just rethinking that. Never mind. It still would have been the tabernacle. Okay, so in chapter 3, here we go. And it says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see, and ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. And the Lord called Samuel and answered, Here am I. See, Eli knew the word of God. He knew what Exodus talked about, what Leviticus talked about. That was to never go out. He was slacking on his job. He was being lazy. And so this whole picture of there's no open vision, you have a priest that's not doing his job. He's falling asleep, so he can't do his duties, and now is going out. And oh my goodness, what an incredible picture this is for us. Because you have, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 talks about that. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But if you are a Christian that's falling asleep, you have this candlestick... It could be going out. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but there's no light now in here. It was the only source of light in this area. They could not minister before the Lord if they did not have light in this area because it was covered with, uh, you know, as far as the, the curtains that they had, there was no light coming into that except for what gave light from the candlestick. And so it makes me think of this passage in 1 Samuel 3 that he was letting the lamp of God go out and that was never supposed to happen. That was never supposed to happen. And so he did not fear the Lord properly. Okay, next point. The candlestick's furnishings were to be made of pure gold. And then lastly, the candlestick was to be placed on the south side of the tabernacle. 
And that's what Jaden just read in Exodus 40. The south side of the tabernacle. And it was supposed to give light, if you remember, it said it kind of weird in those previous passages, but to give light over against it. So it was positioned here to give light to everything that was happening over in this direction. Okay. All right, we good? Okay, so those are all the details. Yeah? So about, about the lamp, what Jewish holiday is it where the lamp burned? Hanukkah. Lamp? Yep. And it is similar because you have seven. Um, but it's yeah, it's but it's different. But yeah, you're thinking of that one. Yep. Okay. Any other questions before we move forward? Okay. All right. Awesome. Okay. So let's move into the next part. So spiritual truths for our admonition and learning. Okay. So this first one we already know. Uh, we covered this one. We started talking about gold in the Bible. So pure gold represents divinity. Whoa! I think I skipped one. Did I? I don't know why I did that one. Anyway, pure gold represents divinity. Holiness and things of high value. Divinity, holiness, and things of high value. And so we've already mentioned and we talked about that. Some of these verses, and I've got one up here. Um, these are just some other verses that I didn't have on the previous weeks. Where an Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. So that gave him the ability to uh, do a lot of things in this world. It's of high value. And then Psalm 145 verse 13. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is wrought of gold. King's daughters are made, their clothing is made of gold. And so it shows you the very high value of it. And so this whole point is that it's extremely high value. It represents God. Everything in the holy place is made of gold. The second point here, the Holy Spirit is our only source of light. So we know that this candlestick represents the Spirit of God. And it is our only source of light. Now we're going to take a look at some passages of Scripture. So jump over to Revelation chapter 1. I want you to see all these ones. These are really good verses. Revelation 1. The Spirit of God represents, is represented by this candlestick. And the Spirit of God is our only source of light that we have. Revelation chapter 1. Alright, Revelation 1 and verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Again, there are seven uh, parts of that candlestick that are to be always lit. Always, always. Go over to chapter 3 in verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath seven, the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. So there you have the seven spirits. And then jump over to chapter 4 and verse 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, representing the Holy Spirit right there. And then chapter 5 and verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. God's number of perfection is seven. You have this lamp. You have these spirits. It is the Holy Spirit of God represented there. Now jump over to the book of John. John chapter 14. John 14.
John 14. And someone read for me verse 16 and 17. Okay, you've already read. We'll get somebody else. Did you read it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Okay, what I love about this passage is that, first of all, the Spirit of God is called the Comforter. So, as a Christian, no matter what's going on in your life, you can always have comfort. And if a Christian doesn't have comfort, well, then they're not really yielding to the Spirit of God. They're just not. And they're not listening to Him. And I've been in those situations before, but that's something very important. But then in verse 17, He's called the Spirit of, what's the word? Truth. So, if someone does not have the Spirit of Truth, how can you expect them to walk in truth and to do what's right? You can't. I remember early on, um, just in my life, and even as I'm teaching my kids, uh, you know, they're, they're raised in our house, and, and we uh, teach them certain things. We, we tell them to not say certain words and to behave certain ways because we're disciplining our children. And then they go out into the world, and then somebody says, like, a curse word, and they go, oh, Mom, Dad. I'm like, yeah, we know. It's, it happens, <laughs> you know? And it's like lost people. That's how they talk because they're lost why should I expect them to behave any different? Now, it's weird if someone who's saved starts acting like they're lost. Now, that's a whole different ballgame. Because if you're saved and you have the spirit of truth in you, the only source of light in the tabernacle, there should be some serious conviction that's going on. How can you actually live in an obedient and in a disobedient way as a lost person, saying the things that this world would say and doing the things this world would do and think that you're completely fine with it? Now, that's incompatible, and we can't do that. And so here you have the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth. Every born-again believer has this spirit of truth inside of them. And what I love about this is it says that he shall be in you. So you always have this inside of you as a born-again believer. So you have no excuse to not know what's right. You've got no excuse. Deep down, the spirit of God is going to convict you on the things that are right and that are wrong. The issue is, are you listening? Are you listening? And you need to get into the habit of listening to the Spirit of God. Look at verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And that's what light does. I mean, how many of you have gone into a room that's been pitch black and you can't see anything and you run into everything? I've done that. It's really fun when, in our house, and I've done this a couple times, where I'm in the bathroom getting ready for bed, I've got the lights on, and everybody else is already in bed, and I shut the lights off, and then I walk out, and I'm like, whoa! <laughs> or I step into Lucas's room, and it might be a mess, and there's things on the floor, and I hurt my feet. You know, the awesome Legos, or little things like that that just kill your feet. It's terrible, but the moment you put light on, it shows everything. And that's what the Spirit of God does. He teaches you, He shows you, and He brings things to your remembrance. This is what he's supposed to do, and that's what he does. Go over to chapter 16 of John. And take a look at verse 7. <clears throat> Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin... 
and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he, he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. I love these verses. And, I, and the other thing that I've thought about this too, especially in verse 7 and verse 8, is that Jesus says, listen, I have to go away. Because if I don't go away, then I can't send you the Spirit. And the reality is, is that, I mean, how incredible would it, would it have been to be with Jesus, like, day in and day out for, you know, three years, and to hear Him, and to be with Him, and to ask Him questions, and to, I mean, for, about anything, that would have been incredible. That would have been absolutely incredible. About anything in life that's going on, to watch Him work, to learn from Him directly, eye to eye, face to face, and just to be with Him. Do you realize how comforting that would have been? Do you realize the boldness the disciples would have had knowing that they were physically with Jesus? That would have been amazing. I mean, amazing. I mean, just a small little taste of it. If you have an opportunity to witness to somebody, how much easier is it to witness to somebody when you have a fellow believer with you? A lot easier, and it gives you more confidence. And there are things that you'll say, and then they're hearing you, and then they can jump in with other details to help you as you're evangelizing with that person. It's a great form of comfort. It's easier to walk with the Lord together. And just imagine what it would have been with Jesus physically. I mean, it would have been amazing. And here Jesus says, listen, I got to go. I have to leave. Because if I don't leave, I can't send you the comforter. And in a way, the comforter, the Spirit of God, was way better at comforting and way better at teaching you how to walk with God. How is that? Why was it better for you to have the Spirit of God than the physical presence of Jesus Christ? How could it have been better? Yeah, Ethan. Because the Spirit of God is always inside you. Mm -hmm. Jesus, even though you could be physically with Him, you could always be. Yeah, that's a good one. What else? Yeah. The Spirit could be with everyone at once, like personally, instead of like having to be in one specific spot. Yeah. Yeah, God's intimacy could actually go anywhere and everywhere with everyone all at the same time. Yeah. And He's with you 24-7. And so you don't have to change your location to be with the presence of God. Because that's what it was like back in the day. If you wanted to be in God's presence, you had to go here. You had to be here. And that's not what God wants. It's what He wanted then. But this is what He's teaching now. This is the picture. If you want to really imagine this, remember, you're the tabernacle. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are God's dwelling place. This is you. This whole picture is your body in a way. And so you have salvation, set apart, the Word of God, my prayer life, the Spirit of God, God's presence. This is you. This is totally you. And so this candlestick is very very, very important. All right, let's move on. Okay, so He is our only source of light, our only source of light. And now the Holy Spirit seals us into the day of redemption. He seals us into the day of redemption. And see, this is why God was so adamant about the lamp can't go out. It's not supposed to go out. Don't ever let it go out because it's a picture. 
Once you're born again and you have the Spirit of God inside of you, He can't leave. It doesn't go out. It's always there. Now, as far as your ability to keep that fire lit higher or lower or whatever, that's completely up to you. But He's always there. And it is to never go out. The Holy Spirit seals you unto the day of redemption. Those verses you have in your study sheet, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, 2 Corinthians 1, 22, and 2 Timothy 2, 19 are phenomenal verses. There are so many Christians that believe that you can lose your salvation. And if you go to those three passages, it is clear you cannot, you cannot in the church age lose your salvation. It is impossible. And the next point, the Holy Spirit enlightens the Bible and our prayer life. It enlightens the Bible and our prayer life. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's 2 if you don't speak Spanish. All right, 1 Corinthians 2, take a look at verse 10. Very interesting verses here. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth how many things? All things, yea, the deep things of God. And now he's going to explain this. Look at 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Now that's an interesting way that's worded, but it's, it's very true. Like, you can look at a person and you have no idea what's going on inside of them because you're not them. You're not in them. You're not part of them. You can ask them questions and they can give you answers, but they could be lying about it. They could even be deceived in their own thinking, but you're not in their shoes. You're not in their body. You don't have their spirit. So you know you to the best of your ability. You know what's really going on. And in the same way, like he says, even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. That's why he's called the Spirit of God. He searches everything. He knows everything about God. He knows everything about everything. And that's how he's able to reveal knowledge unto us. Verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man, the person without the Spirit of God, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. This is why it's difficult at times to have spiritual conversations and debates with people when they are not saved. And this is why it's, it's almost impossible to debate theological issues if that other person does not have the Spirit of God in them. You need to focus on the gospel. They need to be born again. They need to trust Jesus as their Savior. That is always step one. There might be issues and reasons why they don't believe in God, but for a lot of people, honestly, those are just excuses to not believe the gospel. Because remember, God has put His law in the heart of every single person. And they know that when you speak the gospel, that you are telling them the truth. They know it. And you can have confidence and boldness in that. And so it's very difficult to speak about other spiritual things when someone's not, not saved. Verse 15. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Don't just pass over that. Did you just read that? Did you just hear that? We have the mind of Christ. 
So what is the mind of Christ? According to this passage, in its context. The the Spirit. The Spirit of God. Yes, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the mind of Christ. So if you are saved, if you are born again, you have the mind of God living inside of you. Okay, like if you're falling asleep this morning, like you need to seriously wake up because that's one of the most amazing things I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) I mean, for real. If you're saved today, you have the mind of the living God inside of you. And not only is He inside of you, but according to the, the Word of God very clearly, the Spirit of God wrote this book. So not only do you have the mind of God inside of you, but then you have the written mind of God that the Spirit of God wrote And as you interact with the scriptures, the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to be teaching you things from his book about himself. This is why people that are lost, when they read the Bible, like, I don't get it. I don't understand. Well, yeah, because you don't have the author of that book living inside of it. You don't have the mind of God. But if you have the mind of God and you know this is the book that the mind of God wrote and then you get in it and he teaches you, it opens up so many other things. It enriches everything with your with your Bible, everything. Everything. So that's major. That's huge. That is huge. All right, and go over to Romans 8. Romans 8. I want to take a look at this one too. Romans chapter 8. A little bit to your left. So he enlightens our Bible time, time in the Word of God, and he enlightens our prayer life. Romans 8, 26. So I'm going to read that one. 8, 26. Could get him. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we are, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings with which cannot be uttered. So the Spirit of God helps you in all of your weaknesses, your infirmities. Because there are times where you pray and you really don't know how to pray, and that's exactly what it says. But then it says, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. So the Spirit of God, the mind of Christ living inside of you, prays for you, makes intercession for you to God on your behalf with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, there's charismatic people that use this verse and they talk about how this is praying in the Spirit. That's garbage. Because it says very clearly, groanings which cannot be uttered, which means it can't come out of your mouth. And yet they use this as a verse that says, no, this is like speaking in tongues. Okay, but is there not sounds coming out of your mouth when you're speaking in tongues? Well, yeah, but it says groanings which cannot, it cannot be uttered. It can't. And yet they use this verse. It's crazy. But that's what happens when people just don't believe the Bible. So the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit of God is always praying on your behalf. Always. And there are prayers that you pray that are just just sinful. Like your perspective is skewed because you're human and God knows that. And the Spirit of God takes your prayers and changes them so that way it's glorifying unto the Lord. This is what He does. It's really cool. So He's praying for you all the time and when you pray, He's even correcting some of your prayers so it will actually honor the Lord. And that's what He does. So it enlightens your time in the Word of God and it enlightens your time in the Bible. So this is why this picture is so incredible. You have the candlestick, the Spirit of God. 
It's the only thing giving light inside this holy place because you're born again, you're set apart, you're sanctified, and now spending time in the Word of God and spending time in prayer only happens if you have this candlestick. This is why people that are lost don't understand the Bible and they don't get prayer. They don't understand it because they don't have the Spirit of God inside of them. So this Spirit enlightens all of it. This is the only form of light in that particular place. I want to make sure that that is, that is something you remember. Okay, and then the last point. The Holy Spirit gives us life and power to bear fruit. The Holy Spirit gives us life and power to bear fruit. Alright, everybody go to John 15. Give me two readers. Number 17, 8. Who would like to read that one? Go ahead, Caleb. And Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Okay, you got that one. Perfect. Everyone else go to John 15. John 15. Okay, Caleb, go ahead with number 17, 8. And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witnesses. And behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. Hey, hey, how about that? Did you hear all that? You've got buds, the knops, you have blossoms, the flowers, and you have almonds. Hmm. And out of what rod? Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod. Anyone know the circumstance going on in, in number 17? What was happening? Anybody know? There was a great contention that was going on in number 17. Yeah. Was it about if Aaron should Yeah. You had the sons of Korah. And they were saying, hey, you know what? This is not right. We should be doing... We, we, how, how is it that you're the ones that get to serve God in the midst of, the, of His presence and all that? We should be a part of that. And Moses and Aaron are like, are you kidding us? Like, God called us to do this. We didn't choose it. God told us this is our responsibility. And so they went through all this stuff. And so he had all the tribes go through after everything was over. And he ended up putting... A, each tribe had their own rod. And they laid it up before the Lord. And it says, the rod that buds... Now think about this. What is a rod? Let's just walk through this logically. What is a rod? Stick. A stick that is dead. <laughs> so they had to go out to a tree or find some sort of a stick that would be a good rod and they would go and grab it and they would make it all look nice and neat. They could even paint it if they wanted or whatever. Spray perfume on it. I don't know. And they would, each one for each tribe. And they laid it up before the Lord. So you had a dead piece of wood. And God said, the dead piece of wood that comes to life is the people that I have called to be my priests. Huh. How about that? <laughs> That's incredible. It's like being a born again. <laughs> and we are all called the priests of the living God, by the way. It's just kind of cool. And you have this thing, which is made of knops, flowers, and almonds. So this whole rod thing is very significant. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the resurrection. It's a picture of being born again, which only happens for the Spirit of God. So when God is outlining all the stuff with the candlestick, saying, I want knops, flowers, and almonds, He knew it was coming in number 17. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And all those things represent His Son, Jesus Christ, and the resurrection. So it's really cool. So with the Spirit of God, you are dead, and now you actually can have life, and now you can bear fruit. In John 15, Jesus says the exact same thing on the New Testament side. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth 
not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Jump down to verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Okay, so let's put all this together. I love how God has done this. I've done several messages on this, and I love John 15. It's one of my favorite passages. So Jesus is the what in John 15? He is the vine. Let's do another picture, shall we? Because why not? Alright, He is the vine. Alright, so He is the vine. So we're going to make Him green because green is life. Alright, so He is the vine. This is going to be like super awesome too, so you're going to want to take pictures and post this on social media. I'm just kidding. Okay, and then you are the... Fruit. Not the fruit. You're the branch. So you're the branch. So you're this dead branch that's out here, right? Okay. But if you want fruit to actually be on this branch, what do you got to do? You got to be on the vine. You've got to be plugged in. You have to. You have to. You have to. How can a person bear fruit that will glorify God if they are not in Jesus Christ? You can't. Okay, so, spiritually speaking, what does this mean? Step one, you got to be saved. If you are not saved, how can you have the life of God in you to bear fruit? You can't. You can't. You have to be in. You have to be in. If you are not in, nothing from God can come out into the branch to bear the fruit. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. Okay, so you have to be saved. Very good. Now, you're saved. But he said there's branches that are in him that aren't bearing fruit. So how can you do that? Glorify God with whatever you do. Yeah, and there's people that don't glorify God. So if you don't glorify God, there's something going wrong inside of here that there's a disconnect. The branch may be here... But there's something inside that's stopping God's life-giving ability for you to give fruit, and it's stopping right here. That's what's going on. You're in. Just nothing's happening. Why is nothing happening? Because you're not letting God in and through you to glorify you, glorify Him in everything that you say and that you do. It can't happen. There's nothing going on. So if you are frustrated as a Christian... Like if you said, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. I've given my life to Him. I'm in. I know that I've done that. But there's nothing here. I struggle with reading my Bible. I have a hard time evangelizing. I, I, I keep falling into sin. I keep, I keep doing all this stuff. It's because the Spirit of God, you're not letting the light in. You're not letting it happen. You're letting it grow dim. You're stopping it from even being able to do anything. That's the issue. Every time. Now, how you're stopping it, I mean, there's a lot of things. And that's for you to figure out. But you're stopping. You are not believing God. You are choosing to be disobedient. And you've got to figure that out. 
or else you're never going to have fruit. And according to this passage, verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear, what does it say? Much fruit, and then so shall ye be my disciples. You are not a disciple unless you're bearing fruit. You might be a believer, but you are not a disciple. And according to Acts 11, you're not a Christian unless you're a faithful disciple. Right? Because the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Acts 11.26 So we need to rethink some things. What's going on inside your holy place? Are you spending any time in your holy place? Are you hanging out in the outer court? Yeah, I'm saved and I'm content to be out here. But there's so much more if you're willing to be sanctified and set apart to get in here to listen to the Spirit of God as He enlightens your time in the Word of God in your prayer life that we're going to talk about next week so that you can actually be in the presence of God. Alright, so with that said, a couple questions. How much do you truly rely upon the Holy Ghost? How much do you truly rely upon the Holy Ghost? Do you know how? I mean, I think this morning we made it pretty clear you got the Spirit of God inside of you. He wrote this book and He enlightens your time in the Word of God and in your prayer life. And so you should be able to put two and two together. How in tune are you with the Holy Ghost, with the Spirit of God? The more time you spend with God, the more in tune with Him you're going to be. And the more He tries to nudge you in certain directions, you're going to pay attention and be obedient and go that direction. And what does your prayer look like each day? What does your prayer life look like each day? There are times where we ought to be praying more and more and more and it just happens because of our circumstances. But what does it look like? I mean, you should be praying to the Lord throughout each day, multiple times each day. If you don't pray to God, you're saying to God, I don't need you. And we need Him. Oh my gosh, do we need Him. There are little decisions that you're making now that are going to have massive, massive consequences later. And you don't realize it now. I've had several students that have come back to me. I even had one this past weekend that said, yeah, I remember when Stephen would say certain things and I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He's like, now that I'm old, I'm like, oh my gosh, he was totally right. Happen again. Just keeps happening. I don't know why it keeps happening. I'm telling you guys, these are very important things and if you get them now, man, it could save your life. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. I pray you'd help us to take these things and run with it. That we would please you and be obedient. In every area of our life, show us things that we need to do to just glorify you more and to bear much fruit. And, um, and just be your disciples in this world as we ought to be. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.